If you would, you can open up your Bible with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 4. And we have been um, in this, this time and season, we've been looking at growing up together, growing to full maturity together. And we've been in a series now for a couple weeks on growing to full maturity, and we're going to continue in that series. And um, we're going to look this morning at one of the things that's necessary for us to grow. Necessary for us to grow from a little bitty baby up to a full, mature, seasoned adult or elder. And just like in the natural realm, you have a little infant all the way up to a, an elder, but in the spiritual realm, we have the same thing. You know, Paul said, I'd like to tell you these things, but you all are just little babies yet, and I can't tell you. In another place, he said, you know, desire the sincere milk of the Word as babies. Well, that's the beginning, but certainly we don't, everyone starts there, we just don't want to stay there. You know, when you, when you start as a baby, how many remember when you, when you first gave your life to the Lord, when you first submitted to the Lord, how, how new and, and everything was and how simple everything was? Well, we never want to lose the simplicity of the gospel. And sometimes when we think we're maturing is when we start to make things complicated. And we need to go back and, and say, you know, silly thoughts, get out of my head. Dump them out your ear. Let them fall to the ground and get in the Lord's thinking. Because it is simple. It's the simple good news of the Gospel. And let's keep it simple and then at the same time grow in our maturity in the Lord. So here in, in Proverbs 4, and I, I want to say this as we begin this morning. You know, it is a very unprecedented time that we live in, and by unprecedented I mean none of us have experienced what we're going through as a nation and as a planet right now. None of us have experienced what it's like to live through a season where everything gets shut down and closed down and all this turmoil going on, all the fear. I mean, I've never in, in our nation felt fear like was in society you know, over the last month. And so we have... Um, well, I shouldn't say that really. I guess there was a, back at 9-11 was a very marked uh, time of fear as well. And, um, for, but some of us, younger people, weren't here then, right? Uh, some of us, though, were, and we remember those times. And so uh, what I do say is that we've not been through this particular thing before. And I'm so glad there's someone that has the answers of how do we get... How do, we, how do we weather it? How do we overcome it? You know, Jesus said, you're going to have problems. Brace yourself. He said, you're going to have problems, but you know what? Be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the problems. And so we're not left without answers on these things. So here in Proverbs 4, in verse 18, it says, the path of the righteous. Now, who are the righteous? Last week we looked at this and we said we understand that it was Jesus who made us, the Father made us righteous with His righteousness. And so having the understanding that I am right before the Lord is very, very crucial to you being bold in your identity. For you being bold to be who God has created you to be. Without the understanding of your right standing before God, that's what righteousness is, it's rightness. It's being right like God. 
right like God. And we talked about how there's not levels of righteousness. There's not like you have to level from one level to the next level. And I've attained, you know, a higher level of righteousness. No, Jesus did that for us. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, there's not levels of God's rightness. There's only one level and it's completely, perfectly right. And so that's where we've been. That's our, our starting line, our baseline. Completely right with the Father. And that is what causes us to be able to run into the throne room, like Hebrews says, in our time when we need help and where we can find mercy, we can find God's grace, His help for us in that time when we have need. And I suppose that right now in this season there are many, including us sitting here, that we have need. Right? We, we, there's the time where we have things that we need help with. And maybe you've gotten into fear. Well, thank God is a throne that you can run to where you can find mercy and find help in that time when you need it. So with that understanding, that's where we were last week, is with the righteousness of God, being made righteous is now let's look here in verse 18 again, chapter 4. It says, The path of the righteous, or the just, is like the light of dawn. You know, this morning I saw the light of dawn. I saw it it was completely black outside, and then it started to get just a little crack of light. And then a little bit more, and it kept growing and growing, and by noon, it's going to be pretty bright around here. That's what it's saying here. This is how the righteous are. It starts out with a little bit, and it just becomes brighter and brighter until it is like the full, perfect, mature time of the day. High noon, where it's bright, where you need sunglasses. John, if you could, in the NIV, put up Psalms 36, verse 9. Psalms 36, 9. We can just stay here, the rest of us. The path of the righteous. Someone say, I am, I am. made righteous. My path grows brighter. And maybe you think, well, that's not been my experience. It seems like things are getting darker around me. First of all, you are not your circumstances. Secondly, if the light is within you, is truly light, then no matter the circumstance, your path is still bright. It doesn't mean free or absent from any problems or issues that come your way. But the light in you will cause you to be able to overcome those issues. The light in you will shine the way around the issue, through the issue. Here in Psalms 36.9 it says, For with you is the fountain of life. Some time ago we talked about the fountain of life, right? And how out of your mouth is the fountain of life. As you speak the words of life, out of the mouth come the issues of life. Well, Scripture says that in your mouth you hold the power of life and death. The fountain of life. Are you speaking what God says about your situation out of your mouth? The fountain of life. Let's go on and see. It says, in your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. When God's light comes to you, it gives you revelation. The ability to see. When God's light comes to you, it exposes what you could not know and see before. It's called illumination. And when illumination comes, revelation comes. There is a difference. 
And when God's illumination, when God's light, that's what's coming to you and I this morning, is His light. And it will make so that you and I can see things we could not see prior. How many are believing that like the, like the righteous, because you are the righteous, your path is getting brighter and brighter, that God's light is expanding in your life. And in His light, we will see light. In His light, we, let's say that, in His light, we see light. In His light, we see light. John in the NIV again put up Psalm 119 verse 18. In His light, we see light. You know, without His light, you could see nothing. Everything we're able to see, any kind of spiritual discernment, any kind of spiritual light, any sort of revelation or illumination that we have gotten from the past all the way up until now is simply because He has shined some light somewhere. And we have been there present and able to see. You know, the Lord is not judging you on the light you don't have. You're going to have to answer for the light you do have. And what did you do with the light that you have? You know, to whom much is given, much is required. And certainly you and I in today's time and age, we have been given much light. And so we're going to have to answer before the Lord someday, what did we do with that? How did we walk in it? And some people's solution is, well, maybe I don't want to be more... You know, because the more light you have, the more responsible you are. So when we say, Lord, give me more light, be, know what comes with that is greater responsibility. A greater responsibility to walk in it and be in the light as He is in the light. Some people's solution is, you know, well... I don't want more light because I don't want to be more responsible. Now be very, very careful with that. Because that's a sneaky one. Because one of the things that you're going to also have to give an account for is the opportunities you had to receive light. Whether you went and got it or not. You're still going to have to answer for what, what you did with the opportunity. Let me give you an illustration. In... Scripture, you see the story of the guys that were given the talents. And one went out and took five talents and made five. And another one did, did likewise. And he doubled what he'd been given. But there was the one guy who went and buried what he had. He squandered and, he, and got rid of the opportunity he had because his reasoning was, I don't want to be responsible. And he even said with his mouth, he said, man, because I know what kind of judge you are and I don't want to be responsible for all that light. And what happened? The Lord showed up and judged him for the words that came out of his mouth. And not only that, judged him for the opportunity that he had that he never entered into. So we live in a time where we have massive amount of opportunity to be in the Word. I mean, unlike Paul, I can put on my phone and listen to Scripture while I'm driving down the road. He couldn't do that while he was going down the chariot holding the reins. Right? But I can listen to it all over the place. I got headphones. I mean, even if it's noisy, I can listen to it. I can read the Word. I've got it not only you know, in many Bibles in my house. I have it on all kinds of electronic devices. The Word is everywhere. Teachings and preaching is everywhere. You know, back then, either you had to write it write the sermon out. We have some of those here in Scripture. Or you just had to remember what they said. 
And you know how memory is. It eventually fades. Well, we have sermons. We have archives and archives of sermons from all kinds of anointed teachers across the planet. We are truly without excuse. You and I need to be walking in the most light ever. For one, because it's getting brighter and brighter. I'm not saying the circumstances are. I'm saying the Father is. And I really liked what, uh, what John Tobias or had said, I guess. Um, you put it on Facebook, Troy, that you know, we don't have to fight the darkness. A Christian just needs to shine. You know, light doesn't fight with darkness. You never walk into the bedroom, you know, when it's pitch black, turn on the light, man, there's a big battle that ensues. Darkness starts, I mean, you know, light starts to prevail, and then the darkness pushes back, and then you turn on another light, now finally the darkness is defeated. It's not like that. You just shine, and darkness is gone and dispelled. The light, it's not a struggle for the light. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see. Now what, what did we say earlier? We said, in your light, we will see light. In your light, we will see light. Here, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Wondrous things. Open my eyes that I might see your wonderful things. Did you know you, you see what you look for? You see what you look for. How many times have you ever read a headline or a sentence wrong? The words were all spelled right. You just, your brain, you were looking for something different. It flipped letters around and you saw what you looked for. You didn't see correctly. Jesus said again and again, be careful how you hear. Well, the same is true with your seeing. Be careful how you see. Make sure that you're seeing what He's wanting you to see. That you're seeing in His light and not some other strange light. Have you ever put on sunglasses that are tinted? You know, you put on blue sunglasses, everything looks blue. You hold up a white sheet of paper and it looks like a blue piece of paper. Put on rose-colored glasses and you just see things with a rose-colored view. Or yellow glasses and man, did you... Here's a secret for some of you that don't like cloudy weather. Wear yellow sunglasses. The sun is shining all day. True story. <laughs> I discovered that out on the shooting range, you know, with yellow sunglasses to help you see better. It does, man. The sun's shining all day. It's a cloudy day. It looks like everything's bright and sunny. So sometimes we just have to put on the right Jesus glasses and see with the light that He's providing. Rather than seeing through what our society is providing us. Let's go over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. So, one of the ways that we grow up, I haven't, I haven't gotten away from growing to full maturity, is we have to, in order for us to do that, we have to see correctly. We have to be in the light. In His light, we will see light. And so, just in short, the way to get the light into you is to get the Word into you and believe the Word, because His Word is light, a lamp unto your path, right? And so, we have to allow the light to shine the way. In Luke chapter 11, let me ask the question, is what we look at important? Is what we look at important? 
And you know, it's easy for us to say yes when we think of all the bad things that are on television or all the horrible, you know, video games or whatever. Yeah, you know, what you see, you will um, imitate. And what you see, you will become like. And if you see something enough, you will become like something. If you listen to something enough, you will begin to sound like that. You know, people would come in here and say, oh my, you, you, you sound so much like Pastor Dale. Well, that's because I listened a lot to Pastor Dale. Right? Other people that know what Keith Moore teaches, they come in and say, well, you sound like Keith Moore. That's because I listen a lot to Keith Moore. So you become like what you see and what you hear. So it's very important what we see in here, but don't think of it in just the extremes of the horrible things that are on television or the pornography on, on the internet or those kind of things. I'm talking about what are you seeing in your normal life? What are you seeing? When you all get together this past week, when you got together, did you talk about how crazy the world is out there? Is that what filled up all your time, conversation time? Of how ridiculous all the rules are? Of how this is crazy and that's wild? And can you believe this? This is so ridiculous? Or did you fill your time talking about, did you know that you know, the promise says we're going to overcome? The promise says that we're going to do this. We're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to get well. You know, this is what Jesus said about the situation when we get into, what are you seeing? I mean, this is really for us right now. Because if you're anything like me, my tendency, my natural tendency is to talk the problem. How crazy it is. Did you read the latest headline? You know, you can go through Facebook and find all these hilarious memes that make light of the situation and it's good to laugh, right? I enjoy that a lot. And, um, but yet, all the focus can be on the ridiculousness of the situation. What are you seeing? Here in, in Luke 11 and verse 33, Jesus speaks. He says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. The purpose of light is to be seen. I said the purpose of light is to be seen. Not to be hidden. You know, if you, if you are filling your windshield with the news, I don't care who the, the news agency is, if you are filling your windshield with the news or simply just with headlines of news, just on the internet, you have got yourself a massive prayer list for sure. But beyond that, what are you looking at? The Lord said to me this week that He said, uh, bring me, we were having a, He and I were having a conversation on the inside about um, news media and television. And he said, bring, bring me to those situations. Bring me to those situations. So as you come across those, as you read them, bring them to the Lord. Bring Him to the, those situations. Pray over those situations. However, if you spend all day looking at those things and reading those things, eventually what you're reading and looking at is darkness. How long can you drink from the darkness before it becomes darkness in you? Or depression, or heaviness, or fear? 
How many minutes a day can you talk about how crazy things are, how bad things are, how ridiculous they all are out there? Because we're not, we, we, you know, we're, we're people of faith. We'll just talk about it all day. I mean, I'm preaching really good right now because I know I'm hitting all of you. I'm, myself too. Yeah, the Lord's been working on me on this week about this. Let's keep reading. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. In other words, when what's coming in your eye, what you're seeing is the good, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. That what's coming in your eye is not darkness. We are supposed to deliberately set ourselves to not fill ourselves with all the darkness. And he goes on and he says, uh, if therefore your whole, um, verse 36, if therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, the whole body will be full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. So what are you looking at? You know, you become what you look at. You become what you look at. I like to smoke. I have this smoker, pellet smoker, and I like to... I'm glad I finished that sentence. I saw some of you look at me real fast. I like to smoke meat, okay? And uh, I have this pellet smoker. And um, so I like to look in books and look at pictures of things being smoked. And I like to, you know, watch on the television channel, the barbecue channel, right, where they're smoking things and, and um, all the different meats and things. And man, it, it's fascinating to me. And I like to read about it. I like to, to fill my windshield with it, right? And man, the next thing you know, there I am out on the deck with a piece of meat in the grill smoking it. And did you know that one of the things I really like about smoking different meats is that when the, when the smoker is on, whether there's meat involved or not, you know that smell that comes from it? Is you just go out there one time and open the lid and that smoke gets on you and then you go away going, I keep doing that, you know, smelling my shirt because it just smells real good. And sometimes I do like brisket or, or pork butt or something. And, and so then I'm like up in the middle of the night to put it on. And um, then I go back to bed and I, I sleep for a couple hours and I have to get up and check on it. And then there comes a time where every 30 minutes I have to go look at it. I know, who would wreck their sleep like that? Only a person who's, who has looked at this a lot and decided it's worth looking at, right? But the thing is, is that smell will be so strong that I'll go try to sleep and I'll have trouble sleeping because I keep smelling it and it smells good and keeps, you know, waking me. Oh yeah, that smells good. But see, when you get around something, the smell of it gets on to you. And we think that, well, I can just be out here in the smoke of all the problems and despair in the world and it not get on to me. Well, there's only one way that you can do that is if you are full of something else that's putting out a smell. And in Corinthians, it says the smell of us, the smell of Christ in us. Did you know that Christ has a smell? You can smell a believer. And you can also not smell one. 
I mean, there's another name for them. Doubters, I don't know what they're called. Stinkers. <laughs> uh, funny. So what you get around can get onto you. Let me say it a different way. What you look at can get into you. So what are you... I'm asking the question again. We want to grow up. We want to not just be little babies. What are we looking at? We're going to have to choose what we're looking at. Not, don't just take the things that come your way. You choose what am I going to look at. When Peter got out and walked on the water, we know that you know, Jesus said, come. So this was his instruction. He gets out. But somewhere along the way, it says he looked at the wind and the waves. And so then doubt got into him. What do you think is going to happen when you start looking at death reports? Virus reports? How scary it is? How bad the economy is doomed? How many people are out of work? All these statistics. All these things that you're looking... If you're going to look at death, guess what's going to get on and into you? It's death. If you're going to look at light... What's going to come on and into you is light. Jesus is the light of men is what John tells us. In John chapter 1, you know, it tells us that He is the light. And He is the light of men. And so we want Him. We want to see Him because we become what we look at. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Listen to me. So are you listening? Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Are you guys pursuing righteousness? Pursuing what's right? God's rightness. Matthew tells us, Jesus said that, what are we supposed to pursue? If we would first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness... We're supposed to seek it. That means we are stretching ourselves out after it. That means we covet His righteousness. That means we, we go out of our way for His righteousness. To establish His righteousness. To bring heaven to earth. His righteousness. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord. Look. Everyone say look. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Look to the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. The revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the rock. The cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. The rock. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Are we supposed to be like Christ? Yeah. Are we living stones? Like Him? Yeah, we're not the chief cornerstone. We're living stones making up that building. So look to the rock. Don't look to the problems. Don't look to the darkness. Don't look to the news reports. Don't look to what this person or that person says. Look to the rock. Where's the rock? Orient yourself. This word look means to, to, to turn and to, to scan intently. To like stare. Like man, your, your eyes are fixed on it. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Goes on and says, and to, to the quarry pit from which you were dug. 
Verse 2, look to Abraham. Look to an example. Scan intently. Orient yourself. Look at the example you've been given. Find the good example around you and look to it. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When I called him, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. So he was an example to us. I said, you become what you look at earlier. Well, let's look to the right thing then. If we look to the rock, we'll become like the rock. If we look to the wind and waves, well, we'll be bobbing up and down like the wind and the waves. 2 Corinthians. Let's go over there to chapter 3. 2 Corinthians. Here in uh, chapter 3, in verse 18, as we all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord. Now, the word reflecting, some translations say it this way, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We all, with unveiled faces, are, are looking as in a mirror. We're, we're going to reflect. It's like a mirror that we are. At the glory of the Lord, and it causes something to happen. It says, and are being transformed into the same image. Transformed. Changed from one look into another look. That we're going from looking this way to looking His way. We're going from looking like darkness to looking like light. Being transformed. That as we stand there and as we reflect Him, it's, we reflect His glory. We reflect His light. And we are transformed from glory to glory. We begin to look like greater levels of His glory, of His light. And it makes this statement, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Light only comes from the supernatural realm. The Spirit realm. The light of Christ is the light of men. In fact, in 1 John, let's go there. I mean, not 1 John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was God in the beginning, talking about the Word here. And how that He created all things. Verse 4 says life was in Him. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And if you keep reading there, we see that the Word became flesh and He lived among us and grace upon grace was given to us. God's ability, God's light. Things that we could not generate in and of ourselves. Paul said, look, man, we're pressured on every way. We've got all this stuff on either side of us. But he said, we don't look on what is seen. We don't look in the natural realm. We look at the unseen. Talking about the natural realm. What you can't see in the natural realm. We look at something else. That is our reality. That is the light, the light of men that we're looking at in the supernatural realm. So when I read there in in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where we are transformed and that this, as we look at the light, we reflect His light and this is from the Spirit of the Lord. It's not a natural 
thinking kind of thing. You cannot train yourself to be light in the natural realm. It has to come from the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that it comes. And you're going to have to be deliberate to look at it. You cannot just let yourself look at what your eyes want to look at. Your eyes did not get born again. Your spirit did. Your eyes are flesh, and man, if you'll let them, they'll watch the TV until they dry up like raisins in there, because they never see enough. Proverbs says the eye never is satisfied. It always wants to see more. So you, as your spirit being on the inside, we're talking about growing up, your spirit man on the inside has to start to lead. And has to deliberately choose, I will look at this, I will not look at that. It's called being spirit-led. And when you begin to look at that kind of light, suddenly you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit sprouting on the branches. So are you looking at Jesus or are you looking at the problem? Now, let me slap, let me slap some of you again. This is me, me too. This week, how many articles did we share back and forth on the internet or email or, or you know, messengers, whatever? We, reshare all, we share all the ridiculous articles back and forth about how crazy things are and people are off into the woods. How many promises did we share back and forth? What are we looking at? Listen, family, I'm not preaching to them out there. I'm preaching to you, to me, to us. Let's go to Matthew 16. Jen did a really good job of getting us started there, and I want to look at it as well. In Matthew chapter 16, you have the choice of what you look at. You must choose. It doesn't mean be ignorant to the ways of the devil. Ignorant to what's happening in the world. It just means that you have to know that what you spend your time looking at is going to have a major effect on you and how effective you are in the kingdom. Matthew 16 here in verse um, 5, we'll begin just like, just like we did earlier. It says, Then the, the disciples reached the other shore and they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus told them, Watch out, telling them to look for something. Watch out and be beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He did not say be ignorant of it. Be unaware of it. Never look that direction at all. He didn't say that. But you're going to have to guard your eyes else they'll just stay fixated on it. Like I'm stuck and I can't get up. I can't look away. You know, the, the snake hypnotizes the birds, you know, stares at them and and the bird just sits there transfixed or the animal and it can't run away as long as they hold the snake's gaze and pretty soon they become lunch. Well, you got to look away to see light and life and fly away. Otherwise, it'll swallow you up. He goes on and says here, so we're going to be aware of it, all right? We're going we're gonna to know it's there. Don't be ignorant. Verse 7, and they discussed among themselves, well, we didn't bring any bread. So they're thinking, so what are they looking at? They're looking at their problem. They're not looking, well, aware of this, Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have bread? Don't you understand yet? Are you that dull? 
Are, are you that silly? Are you that childish? Don't you remember the five loaves from the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Or the seven loaves from the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand when I tell you beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? It wasn't about bread. But yet they're being problem-oriented. They're looking at the problem they're currently dealing with rather than looking at the answer. If you are short on finances right now, don't keep looking at the bill. Look at the promise. If you are dealing with sickness, don't keep looking at the sickness. Look at the promise. The Word says that His Word is medicine to our flesh. So when it comes time to take your medicine, open up your Bible and read. By His stripes I am healed. That's your medicine. Read again where it says, He heals all my diseases. This is medicine to your bones, medicine to your flesh. And it's time we start believing it and actually acting like we believe it. And not just giving lip service to it. So he's saying, look to the past victories that the Lord has given. This is what David did. He arrives at the battle scene with, with Goliath and, and the Philistines. And he runs out there with, with the guys that are going out to battle that morning. And he apparently he runs away with them as well. Because if you read the story, as they're running away, he's asking the questions. Well, what, what did you say was going to be done for the guy that wins this? And So they went out, and it says they all ran away. And since he was with them, he must have went both directions as well. But he begins to look at the prize. And he also begins to... Well, he really focused on the prize until he showed up in front of Saul. King Saul. Saul goes, who's this guy? And... Um, David says, well, he didn't say, I'm that good with a slingshot, and I've taken Krav Maga and special forces training, and man, I whooped that lion. He wasn't a match for me. He didn't make it about his training. He made it about the Lord. He said, the Lord delivered the lion. I did this. I whipped that lion. I whipped the bear, and the Lord delivered them to me, and he'll do the same thing for this problem. So you're going to look. When the problem arrives, instead of looking at, ooh, how big the giant is, you're going to look at how big God is, and suddenly the problem is really tiny. He didn't look at the size of the bear and compare it to the giant. He looked at the size of his God, solved that problem, helped me in that situation, was the light of my life back there. He'll be my light now. God's effectiveness, listen to me, God's ability, God's effectiveness is not dependent upon the size of the problem. But because we look at the uncurable disease, the death rate, the this and the that, we suddenly become problem-oriented and we're looking just like the rest of the Israelites were at the size of the giant and we're comparing our size to the size of the problem rather than the size of the problem to, my God, is really big. This is nothing for him. Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who, who are they saying that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you? 
are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He's talking about seeing. About seeing. You're blessed because this isn't something you saw in the natural. That's not how you arrived to this conclusion. It was revealed. It was seen. It was shown to you by my Father in heaven. It was revealed to you. He was able to see something. And listen to what else Jesus said about it. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not, not Peter the rock, Peter's a little stone rock, that's what his name means, and upon this rock means big boulder, mountain-sized rock, Jesus, the chief cornerstone rock, upon this rock, upon this declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, upon the revelation that Jesus, the light of man, is the Son of the living God, Upon that revelation, what's going to happen? I will build my church. And the forces or gates of hell will not overpower or overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Our authority comes from that realm to this realm. And we are to bring the will of the Father in heaven to earth. In fact, He told His disciples to pray that way, right? Pray, Thy will, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, is there COVID-19 in heaven? No. no. Then you can pray and establish with your mouth on this planet what He said. Amen. Right? There's no COVID-19 in heaven. No. So if we're supposed to pray His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we're supposed to bring that here. There's no fear in heaven. Then we can absolutely confront fear as the spirit that it is with something different. With love. With light. But if we look at the wrong thing, we won't be in the position our identity will be compromised in our own head. Which will cause us to not say what we ought to say. Not look where we ought to look. Not be the overcomer. Let's go back here just a little bit before we go on. He says, Jesus said, I say to you that you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. This is the first mention of church in the Word. The word church means, means assembly of people. Assembly. The only time the church can be the church... I'm going to just take this little rabbit trail because of the time that we live in right now. There's so much silliness going on in the body of Christ. About There's a meme I see and it, 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 isn't, it isn't correctly said at all. That I see it on Facebook all the time. And the meme is, you know, the church has not been closed, it has been deployed. Well, I'm glad you finally arrived to the party, but you're 2,000 years late. The church has been deployed 2,000 years ago. And the church means, the literal meaning of the word means assembly of people. You cannot be the church if you are not assembled together. Impossible. Church means assembly. I didn't say body of Christ. I said church. So the only way to be the church is to assemble together. You cannot be the church individually. It's impossible. You have to be together. That's what it means. Now you can be the body, a part of the body of Christ individually. 
And that's what we do out there when we're by ourselves with the Father and with Jesus. I mean, we're not by ourselves, but by ourselves in the flesh, out in the world, right? We're, we're a part of the body of Christ. But we cannot be called the church. We'll look at this a little bit more later. Some of you are looking at me like, this is great. Others are going, hmm. What are you looking at? Eve looked at um, something, didn't she? Eve, Eve, she looked at the wrong thing and um, started having conversations with animals. So those of you who are going to prepare food for us downstairs after the service, we're going to go longer because we have the time. There's not a service after ours. So, so if you were, had a meeting, which you're not supposed to be having, um, if you had a meeting scheduled after this and you needed to leave at 10.30, no, we're going to go late, so you'd have to leave early to go. I use it to my advantage when I can. Where were we? Eve, yes, Eve. She looked at the fruit. And if you look at that account in Genesis, it says that at once she looked at it, it's not just a casual glance, but scanned intently, turned and oriented toward it, and as she looked at it, she saw that it was good to eat and pleasing to the eye. It was nice to look at. This thing was enticing. It, she, she, got, she got a charge out of looking at it. It was fun to look at. And well, what you look at, you move in that direction. What you see is the direction you're going to move in. I've often said the story, but when I first moved to Colorado, maybe, I mean, I haven't in a while, so... I used to tell the story. When, when I moved to Colorado, I lived with my cousin, and um, it was before I was married, and we lived together, and, and we got into dirt biking. And so we bought dirt bikes, and we'd go out, and we'd go dirt bike riding. But he also liked to golf. And so um, I thought that'd be a nice idea to try that as well, and I found out it's a great way to ruin an afternoon. <laughs> but he put up golf posters on his wall. I put up dirt bike posters on my wall. He looked at pictures of golf. I looked at dirt bikes flying through the air and driving around. Well, guess what we both spent more and more time doing? He spent more time golfing. I spent more time riding dirt bike. Until eventually he wasn't even riding dirt bike and I wasn't even playing golf. We moved in the, in the direction of the dominant picture we were looking at. I mean, it's a real simple illustration, but this is how it works in your life. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as an overcomer? Or do you see yourself as, as beaten on every corner in darkness, no victory without Jesus? Is that how you see yourself? Do you see people being healed by the Father when you reach out and touch them? Because Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Direct command. Do you see it? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the promise? Are you looking at, yeah, well, I prayed for that guy and they didn't get healed. So now you're looking at the wrong thing. Jesus never said, look to your experience to know whether or not it is true. We look to the promise. Remember the story of Joseph? We're talking about growing up. Don't lose sight of that. This is one of the ways we mature family is we have to take back what we look at. We have to take back um, and not allow ourselves to just look at what our eyes want to look at and begin to deliberately look at the right thing. If you want the right thing in your life, you have to look at the right thing. Not glance at it. 
Not I looked at it a little bit this morning in during 15 minutes and I spent the next 16 hours looking at the darkness. It's not how it works. I know, I wish it did. I wish I could tell you 15 minutes in the morning of looking at light is enough to shine like you know a million watt candle light the rest of the day. Joseph, remember him? He had those dreams. They were words of, from the Lord to him about his future. Yet, everything seemed to uh, go against it. He gets sold into slavery. I mean, first he gets thrown into a pit, left for to die, I guess. And then someone had mercy on him and said, no, let's ship him off and sell him as a slave. So he goes to a foreign land, foreign tongue, I guess learn, learns the language, is there long enough, uh, eventually um, lives in this influential person's house and becomes the ruler of his estate, like the second in charge, I should say. And then is falsely accused of something completely, something he didn't do, right? But he's falsely accused, he's thrown into prison, and like he's never getting out of there. Because we have it on good authority that he did this, and he's going to serve his time, and his time is forever. So to him, the dreams that the Lord gave him seem like a ridiculous impossibility. I'm in a foreign land, in prison, the lowest of the low, and I'm going to rise up and be a ruler, and my family doesn't even know I exist anymore. I don't even know where they live anymore. Are they still back where they used to be? I don't know. Seems like an impossibility that the, the word of the Lord that had come to him. And, and we know the story of how he ended up the second in command in all of Egypt, an entire nation. But the interesting thing is, is that Psalms 105 verse 19, uh, it says that the word of the Lord tried Joseph until the time that it came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The word means the, the word means tested or refined him. Much like when you put gold into the fire and, and it, it's refined, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. What is the word that you're believing that you're being tested? It does not say Joseph tested the word of the Lord. It does not say that Joseph tried the word of the Lord and held on to the word of the Lord. It says the word tried him. It tested him. And he passed the test. Do you think he looked at that promise? Do you think he kept it in front of him all those years? Even when it seemed like a ridiculous impossibility. Kept it in his vision. Kept looking at it. It tried him. He never let go. Kept a hold of it. Let's go back to Proverbs verse, chapter 4. Proverbs 4. We had been there... That's where we started, really. Let's look at verse 20 in chapter 4. So my son, pay attention. Are you paying attention? Pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. So listening with, to hear intelligently is what that means. Hear intelligently. Hear with the intention to, to fulfill it. Listen closely to my sayings. Verse 21, don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. Don't lose sight of them. 
What did we read in Isaiah 51? Look to the rock. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Don't lose sight to them. Turn and orient to the rock. Don't lose sight of His Word, of His promise. Uh, could you put up on the board uh, uh, John, let's see, John 8, 51, I believe it is. John eight fifty one. And you will see that Jesus made a, a very bold statement that many didn't believe. And even when I show this now, some of you are going to think I'm taking it out of context. He said, I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, are you listening to his word? Are you, what does it say here? Listen closely to my sayings. Pay attention to my words. Don't lose sight of them. I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, if he loves my word, because you're going to look at what you love. I said you're going to look at what you love. Maybe I should say it a different way. You will love what you look at. Say, oh no, I don't love darkness. Well, you sure like talking about it. We generally talk about what we like. What are you talking about? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Ever. See. He will never see death. Why? Because he's looking at light and life. If he is keeping my word, he's not looking at death. Yeah, he's talking about eternal life and living forever and being born again and all these things. Again, you're not going to see it with your eye. You're not going to see the death. You're going to see the light. You're going to see the Word because that's what you're looking at. You can't look in two places at one time. You can't focus, I should say, in two places at one time. Because I can turn my eyes in two different directions. I can. I just can't focus in two different places, though. Verse 22, here in Proverbs 4. So, pay attention to them. Listen, don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. Keep the promises within your heart. Look to the answer. Look to the rock. Don't lose sight of them. Don't look away. For they are life to those who find them. Not everyone's going to find them because they don't look at them. For they are life. You know, did, verse 21 does said, don't lose sight. It, it did not say glance toward. Spend a little bit of time every day looking at. doesn't say that. Don't lose sight means you're going to stay looking at it all day long. What would happen if we would just fill our mind and heart and eyes with the rock all day long? By next weekend, we wouldn't recognize each other hardly. For they are life to those who find them, health to one's whole body. Your promises are health to my body. You are my rock. Man, with you, I can charge through a troop of soldiers. With you, I can leap over a wall. That's, that's what the Psalms say. 23, guard your heart above all else. How do you guard your heart? Well, with your ear gate and your eye gate. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. See, there's another way of saying it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaks. Whether you mean to or not. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here, that's why you need to guard your heart. Because then you're going to say the thing next. And we know that the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
As a man thinketh, so is he. Why? Because what he's thinking, he's going to say. And what he says, he's going to do. And what he does is who he is. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Don't speak the problem. Don't be always looking, always focusing, always, okay, usually focusing on the problem, talking the problem. Yeah, but the problem's there. Yeah, but the wind and the waves are there. That's not what we're going to look at. Verse 25, let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Fix it. Means it's unmovable. Don't lose sight of it. It's fixed. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. He's saying don't get distracted. Fix your eye on the rock. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by all the news media. Don't get distracted by all the things that you can see on Facebook. Don't get distracted by all the noise. Am I saying you shouldn't have Facebook? No. Just bring the Lord to it. Look to the rock. Let's look at an example of this. We're not going to get near as far as I thought today, but we're still getting places. We're going to get while the getting's good. Numbers 21. Let's look at an example here. What you look at will be the difference between light. What you look at will be the difference between you shining or not. You being under a bushel or on the lampstand. Under the basket or on the lampstand. Here in, in verse 4, this is Canaanite, or they, the children of Israel. In verse 4 of Numbers 21, Then they set out from Mount or by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. God, why have you, why have you done this? Why have you done that? Start blaming God for things. What, what happens here? Then the Lord... Um, Verse 6, Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. So they're getting judged here. Verse 7, Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that He will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So we see repentance. That's a good thing. Repentance means they've changed. They're going to change. They've, they've gone a different direction now. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image, mount it on a pole, and when anyone who is bitten thinks about the snake, when anyone who is bitten talks about the snake, they will recover. No, that's not what it says. If anyone knows about the snake, oh, do you know about Jesus? Is that enough? Now let's remember, this snake is... Well, let's read it right first. Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. This is the Lord's word to them. So in verse 9, so Moses made a bronze snake, mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked... 
The Young Living's translation. Put, put, put up uh, that verse in the young, verse 9 in the Young Living translation. When someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. When he looked at the snake, he recovered. Not when he thought about it. Young Living says it this way. He said, uh, if the serpent, if anyone that you know has been bitten, if he looked expectantly unto the serpent of brass, he hath lived. Looked expectantly. This is a word again that means to scan intently. To hold, stare at it. Hold it in your vision. Don't look away. Don't glance. It doesn't say glance at the snake. Anyone who glances at the snake is recovered. The word look means it's to behold. It's to fasten, to fix your gaze upon. And we know that Jesus used this example of himself to Nicodemus in, in John. John chapter 3. And you'll read down in maybe about verse 15 or somewhere, I'm guessing. 14, 13, somewhere right in there. And he tells Nicodemus, he says, you know, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that when He is lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. We have to look to the rock from which we were taken. We must look, not just know about, not just think about, not just talk about, See, the danger that we have of coming in here and going back home is we think because we've been raised in church, because we've spent time here, because we know better. Let me say it this way. Because we know, we think we're doing. That's how you become self-deceived. Because you know about something. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Why are you doing it? That's the test. It's not the person who knows about the Word of God that gets results. It's the doer of the Word of God that gets results. You know, an interesting thing about this snake is they made that thing an idol. This bronze snake. Later, Hezekiah took that thing and burned it, called it a bronze thing. And broke it into pieces, it says. Because they were, had it in the, in the temple, and for all these years it said they'd been burning incense to it. You know one of the good things that's happening? The people are understanding that this talk about church and you know that you can't have church, you can't have assembly if you don't get together. But we don't worship the assembly. We worship Him. We assemble to worship Him. We don't hold church in a place it should not have. Some people do. This has exposed it. Let's make sure it's not you and I. That no, we value the assembly, but that's not what we worship. This serpent, you know, it was a type of sin, a type of demonic power, a type of affliction. Christ was made sin to destroy the works of the devil. He was lifted up, results in peace and healing and life. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll look at several more scriptures, and I think we're, we'll see. We have all day. Hebrews 12. Maybe, John, if you would put up um, on the screen Psalms 141, verse 8, or be ready with that in the NIV, 141.8. But for you and I, let's go to Hebrews. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, 
We read this last week. And um, late in the chapter, he is talking about how that the children of Israel at the mountain had experienced God as fire and they were afraid and all of this stuff. And then it says in, in verse 21, uh, 22, he said, you haven't come to the mountain. like He said, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, be the mountain of the Lord, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to read down through here so that you understand he's talking about now and not some future day. He said, you have come. It's past tense. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and festive gathering, to the church, that's the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to God, who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. And it goes on and he says, you know, don't reject the one who speaks. And if you'll look down in verse 26, it talks about a shaking that's going to come and shake the earth. And, and now he's talking about future things. Well, that hasn't happened yet, but we know the previous verses have come. That's what he said. He states it as though it's already happened. What I want you to see here is in, in verse 22, he said, we've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and festive gathering. You know, there are angels that are sent to minister to the saints is what Scripture says. He goes on and he says, to, to the assembly of the firstborn. Well, that's us. That's the church when we gather together. Whose names have been written in heaven to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect. Made perfect. Are you, are you perfect? Yeah. Made perfect. It doesn't mean without flaw. It means you've been made complete. It's been finished. That's what the word perfect means. You've been made perfect. Maybe we'll talk some more about that a little bit later. Here in, in Let's back up to verse 1 now. So he just talked about the, the, all the famous faith people, right, in, in the previous chapter. Now he comes to this point. He says, therefore, since we have also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with patience or endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our, so let's say, keeping our eyes, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the, the source and perfecter of faith. He is the source, the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. Here we have that word perfect. It's, it means to finish, to complete. He's the source and completer of faith. Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. And we know in other scripture what his role is there. He's an intercessor for you and I. He, he presents us as family to the Father. But what was the instruction to you and I? To lay aside the things that so easily trip us up. And what trips us up except what we look at? What we listen to? Instead, he's saying, look to Jesus, the source, the author the beginner and the finisher, right? He's the source, the beginning and the end of it. The whole package. I was going to say the whole shebang, but I guess it would be the whole he-bang. 
Look to Jesus. Psalms 141.8 in the NIV, if you can put that up. Psalmist says, My eyes look to You, Lord. My eyes look to You, Lord God. Why would He look there? Is that in the NIV? My eyes look to You. They're not looking at other things. But looking at Him. Here it is. My eyes are fixed. That's the word I was looking for. My eyes are fixed on You. That means they're set. That means that they are glued. means they're unwavering. Not looking to the left or the right. But set like concrete on a certain point. They're fixed on You. Also, uh, put up Psalm 25.15 unless you and I go to Isaiah 60. Psalm 25.15 says a very, very similar thing. It says, My eyes are always... That sounds fixed, doesn't it? My eyes are always on the Lord. For He will pull my feet out of the net. You know in Psalm 121 where, where He says, I look to the hills. Where's my help coming from? Looking to the hills, hoping, man, some army is going to break the horizon and come to his rescue. And then he realizes, my help doesn't come from the mountains. It comes from the Lord. To put his eyes and his focus back to the Lord. My eyes are always on the Lord. Well, this all sounds nice, but how does this work for you and I today? You know, when everything's shut down, when, when it feels nice to complain about it all. Well, if you're concerned about the economy or about your job, well then start saying what He says about your job in the economy. He meets all my needs according to His glory by Christ Jesus. Not according to my job, not according to the economy, but according to His riches in glory. He meets all my needs. You know, did you know the Word says that David said this? He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or His children. You know, if this whole thing burns down around us, and not to worry. Because, hey, if we have to, we'll just multiply that can of beans we got in the cupboard. I mean, if he did it, he said, come on, don't look at the lack of bread. Don't you remember that we multiplied things out of nothing earlier? He hasn't changed. He doesn't like you less than the disciples. He's not going to let you starve. Remember when he's in the boat sleeping? I mean, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. In the middle of the storm, he's fast asleep. Probably floating in water because the boat was about to get submerged. And if he's laying in the bottom of the boat, guess where the water goes? So I don't know. He's wet, getting tossed around, still asleep. Says two things. He worked hard and he needed rest, but he's also in peace. Well, the disciples, they finally, you know, they don't want to wake the master. Come on, we're expert sailors. He's not. He's a carpenter. Let him sleep. We spend our life out here on the river fishing, or on the sea fishing. So we, we got this. We've been here before. But, you know, once they reached the end of their ability and realized our ability is not enough, and they reached out to the one who could help them. They finally took their eyes off of the wind and the waves and where to steer this ship and brought their eyes back to the rock. And once they put their eyes on the rock and they woke him up and said, wake up, quick, quick, we're about to die. His response to them is awesome. Like, what? What's wrong with you all? And when you think about it, it is pretty funny that a boat Jesus is in is going to sink and everyone's going to die. Really? 
And he says, you know, why is your faith so little? And he gets up and says, peace be still. And then they're shocked again that he would be to the elements and they would listen to him. Isaiah 60, did you find it? Verse 1, arise, that's a deliberate action. Shine, that's another one. Here's why you're going to be able to, remember, in your light, we see light. Remember that verse? In your light, we see light. In your light, we grow up. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness covers the earth and total darkness of people. See, it's not that you can't know about the darkness or know that it's there. It's not that you shouldn't know that it exists. He said, look, see it, it's there. Now watch this. But the Lord will shine over you. And His glory will appear over you. Remember, we're, we're like in a mirror. And His glory is going to reflect off of us. Then you will... Nope, not that one. Verse 3. Nations will come to your light. Not your knowledge about the light. Don't say nations are going to come because you know about light. They're going to come to your actual light. And kings to the brightness of your radiance. Raise your eyes. Look around and they all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away. Your daughters will be carried on the hip. Then you will see in in your light, we see light. The glory of the Lord is there. So then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will tremble and, and rejoice or expand because the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. And it goes on, and if we keep reading there, you see it talks about a great harvest of the Islamic people coming into the kingdom of God. They're the sons of Ishmael. Those are the people that he names next. And he even talks about airplanes, I believe. Yeah. Say, really? Look down in verse 8. Who are these who fly like a cloud like doves or like birds to their windows? Talking about these people. Who are these people that are flying like birds over there? Bringing the good news over there. Arise and shine. Look to the Lord. Look to the rock. We're going to stop there and I want to encourage you this week. Arrest yourself. When you find yourself talking the problem, hashing out the problem, when you find yourself getting fixated on the news or on how ridiculous people are being. And it's probably going to get worse. Okay? It's very, very likely to get worse. With the divide that's in government right now, people you know, have gotten tired of the whole shut-in. I mean, all kinds of things could go on. So it's likely to get worse. Here's what you look at, though, is the rock and the answer. You have their answer. You have the solution, the unwavering. Your eyes are fixed. Your heart is set. Your heart is guarded. Out of it come the issues of life. The promise is word to is life to you, health to your bones. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and your promises. Thank you that you've given us light. And Father, we just thank you that you've opened our eyes to some degree. And we ask that you would help us to see more. 
Help us to understand with a greater understanding than what we've had before how to completely walk it out, to fulfill your direction, to arise and shine. Lord, I ask you to arrest us when we're looking at darkness. Prompt us in that moment to change the discussion, to voice the promise, to look at the rock. And Lord, we will do it. We'll change the story. We'll, we'll change our gaze and fix it upon the rock and bring light everywhere that we go. I thank you for this. I thank you, Lord, that you've made a way where a way doesn't seem possible. Father, I thank you that you are the light of men and that you didn't leave us as orphans, but that you sent your down payment, your spirit, your light within. So, Father, according to your word, I call all the people here blessed. I call them protected. I call them the head, not the tail. Overcomers. Walking in victory. Lord, you give us the victory. You said you always cause us to triumph. We look to the promise. We're thankful for the promise, Father. For the victory that you've given to us. All right, Lord, Lord tells me we should do one more thing. So if you could put up Psalm 91. And we're going to read that together before we move downstairs and uh, have a time of fellowship. We'll read the whole chapter. Psalm 91 is, is us looking at the rock. Us holding the promise up. So read with me. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. Will, you will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will exalt him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promise. Your death and your end was not in that psalm. Your defeat was not in that psalm. But your victory is.
Your long life is. Your health and light is in that psalm. Light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. You see, remember, you're just reflecting His. You're just reflecting His light. And they'll give Him the glory, not you. All right. Let's um, be light, be salty, be Jesus. Good morning. Good morning, beautiful family here at Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're so glad that you're here this morning. In Psalms, let me find it. In Psalms 32, it says, Be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, all you righteous, and shout for joy. Well, you can't be uh, you can't be soft voice to shout, right? Shout is kind of loud. And you and you who are upright in the heart, rejoice in the Lord, all you righteous, for praise is comely. That means becoming. Praise is very becoming on you. It's appropriate. Praise the Lord with a harp and the sing with him with psaltery and the instrument of the ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud voice. For the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. Why do we praise the Lord? In Psalms 34 it says, The righteous will cry and the Lord will hear and deliver him. Out of all his troubles. Everybody say, all my troubles. That means all. The Lord is nigh unto them that are a broken heart and and saveth such with a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us from them all. So what do we do? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be from my mouth. Let's stand up. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to thank him and praise him and worship him for. He's a good, faithful father. Amen. Amen. See, that's a promise of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's a promise. It's just one of hundreds and hundreds of promises in the word of the Lord for you, for you specifically, for you personally. These are personal promises from the Lord. And I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. See, I believe the truth. I believe the word. Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, let's lift our hands and worship the Lord one more time. Well, not one more time. Continually. Continually. We worship and praise him. Glory to God. Look to your neighbors and say, I'm so glad you're here. Love on them. See if they need anything. The children can be released at this time. It's so great to be in the presence of the Lord.
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. There's victory in the house this morning. Can you feel it? So good to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. We'd like to welcome all of our guests that are with us this morning. Good to have you all with us. God is the provider. Amen. Can we say that together? Let's say he's my provider. God is my provider. And he's good at it. You believe that? He's good at it. Well, we're going to read to you out of Matthew. I have a little bit of a different word this morning. Um, it's related to finances, um, not so much giving. But, you know, this is, I feel like this is a, a good word for us this morning. I felt like this was the direction the Lord gave me. So we're going to look at an account between Jesus and the disciples. Um, how should we respond when facing lack of provision? Okay? So Matthew chapter 16. Really, you can broaden that. So lack of finances. Let's just make it, broaden it to a problem of any kind. How do I respond when facing a problem? All right? <clears throat> Verse 5 of chapter 16 says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. All right, a problem has arisen. There's a need. There's a lack. All right, somebody must have stated this out loud because, you know, acknowledge that. Okay, this is what we're dealing with. Because Jesus said to them, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. <coughs> See, when a problem arises, you're going to have an opportunity presented to you to choose a direction. Are you going to choose faith or are you going to choose fear and doubt? So here's the problem. You're going to choose. And he warned them. He's like, hey, look out, guys. Here, you know, watch out for this. Oh, but they ignored that. They, they um, paid no attention to his warning. Verse 7 says, and they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Um, I looked up this word, discussing, or maybe in your Bibles it says they reasoned among themselves. It says to deliberate by discussion or reflection, consider, dispute. So I thought, hmm, were they kind of back and forth? John, why didn't you bring that knapsack of bread? You know, I told you, you always, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we're, just, we're just, you know, bringing color to this. Consider, dispute, muse, reason, think to revolve in one's mind. So it kind of gives the idea that it could be something internally just kind of circling the mind or it's even, you know, discussing or reason, you know, talking it out. So this is what they're doing. Jesus gave them a warning, but they just kept on discussing the problem, revolving the problem, no solution. Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? See, here's the deal, guys. If you back up just a few verses into the, next, uh, the previous chapter, he had just got done feeding 5,000 or 4,000 with a handful of food. Why didn't they remember? As soon as they ran into this problem and this lack, why weren't they? They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what? And we even have, even if they didn't have this, uh, miracle to reflect on, we got the chief problem solver in front of us. But that's not what came out of their mouth. And he says to him, he says, don't you yet not perceive? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Guys, don't you remember what I've just done? 
Why is it that you're still speaking like this and just, you know, what, what, what's going on? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Now, I see two things here. One is Jesus saying, don't you notice I'm not sitting here revolving the problem. I'm not sitting here talking about the fact we don't have bread with us. Also, he wasn't saying that carbs was evil. You know, they were like, oh, you know, maybe he's talking about we shouldn't be eating bread. No, he's not. He's not saying, you know, bread's good. <laughs> he's the bread of life. <clears throat> but he did not reflect on the problem. He was not speaking the problem. And again, he says the warning. And it gives um, the warning, or the leaven of the, he, he says again the warning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, giving a clue what that is, because he said, ye of little faith. So this leaven of the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees must be doubt. So he's saying, watch out. Don't choose doubt. So my encouragement to you, my uh, exhortation to you this morning is, if you're presented with a financial need or, or any problem of any kind, but in particular your finances, choose faith. Choose faith and remember what God has done. Talk that, and that will build your faith. All right? Let's not uh, yield to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's do what Jesus did. He didn't talk about no bread. He didn't talk about no lack. All right? All right, well, let's pray over our tithe and offering. Father, we gladly return the tithe to you this morning and we're so grateful to be your kids and we're so grateful that we have your word and we have your promise and i thank you for the promise that you've made to the tither that you promise to open the windows of heaven for the tither that you promise to rebuke the devourer for their sake so father we just thank you for this we call every need met in this house we call increase to the people's bank accounts according to your word in Jesus name and amen, amen. <clears throat> and the ushers can pass the baskets